Greetings, everybody. Michael Garfield here for Future Fossils Podcast. The next few episodes are an experiment. I was out in Portugal for the Boom Festival back in August and managed to record a couple of really weird, fun, different conversations with people I encountered at the event, something I'm going to continue doing uh, this January and February when I'm down in Australia for Rainbow Serpent and Earth Frequency Festivals, and later in April when I'm out in California for the MAPS Psychedelic Science Conference. So expect Future Fossils to have a lot of these special edition episodes where it's just me and random people, and our wonderful co-host Evan Snyder will be joining us on the more routine episodes. Anyway, this one's a total hoot, featuring the ever-amusing Shaft Udden, whom I met walking to my tent at Boom Festival and then immediately launched into a nine-hour conversation with this guy. About two hours in, we decided that we should be recording it, and then I accidentally bumped the button on the recorder and missed the first hour and a half of what we thought this episode would be. So we begin with a bit of frustration as we discover that the entire conversation we just had has disappeared into the ethers. But given this show's emphasis on legacy and mystery, it seems only fair that so many of our attempts to archive these wonderful conversations are thwarted by circumstance. So kick back, enjoy an especially long episode as our public conversation ended up weaving in some of the additional boomers, and uh, we ended up having a five-person chat, which was very beautiful and spontaneous. Before we get started, just a reminder to please subscribe to us, rate us, review us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is that you're listening to these. Definitely check us out on Facebook. We have the Future Fossils Podcast Discussion Group and post a tremendous amount of interesting news and discussions there. Also, I'm writing a book called How to Live in the Future that should appeal to any fans of this podcast. It's a mashup of evolutionary biology and psychedelic futurism, and that is available in its serial form to people following me on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Michael Garfield, and I'll be publishing not only the writing for that book, but also auxiliary visual art and music and talks and other recordings associated with this meme plex that we're putting together. At any rate, I loved this conversation with Shaft Udden, and I hope that you do too. Kick back and enjoy this very special Boom Festival edition of Future Fossils Podcast. Luckily, this is fun. There we go. Well, we just had probably the entire podcast, and we didn't record it. But um, let's do it again. That's okay. It's okay. Right now, I'm. <laughs> Life Hi, is folks. a rehearsal. This is just happening right now. Yeah, there we go. Um, this is uh, Future Fossils 
podcast on the road boom festival special edition number one michael garfield your host here with shaft udden who is a uh, sacred sexual healer uh oh, i don't like the word tantric healer. unicorn we're all our personal healers i'm an awakener okay activate that shit yourself yeah okay so you're just you're just facilitating exactly and we and, are our own healers and so far we've had a possibly unrecorded <laughs> Incredible conversation about uh, experiencing uh, time and intelligence uh, through the body going in as a way of expanding. And uh, we were just talking about the counter programming and and you know turning into the swerve. You know that, mm. that like when you're when you're starts to hydroplane and and if you try to turn back onto the road you'll flip the car but if you turn into the direction of the swerve you'll you you regain your stability go with the flow yeah go you're into it so you were saying that you had a dmt trip like this well uh yeah i basically just kept on experiencing bliss all the time and i wanted to know like i wanted to know what my shadow aspects were so i could actually grow Mm -hmm. and and it told me yeah so that's i mean that's the in 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 framing this in terms of the uh every, you know all of these unpleasant elements being sort of the repressed projections mm. the disowned uh voices in this congress of self that the is a capital s self that as soon as you it's like a you know Saturnalia, that like the Roman tradition. One day a year, where the masters all waited on the slaves, and everything was reversed. Oh wow! You mm-hmm. know, and it's like I mean, in, in that case, it's a pressure release valve that sort of cements this rigid social control. Mm. But it's also operating according to the same principle of you know effective shadow work in the sense that as soon as you entertain like clowning is really good for this Mm. cross-dressing you know all of these things where you entertain and actually embody the other you know and if you do like in the case of uh like the three two one process the shadow work where you something that's a third person it Mm-hmm. You engage in the conversation as a second person, you, and then through that, through playing both sides of that conversation, you realize that it's actually the first person, I. Mm. That you know, I am the monster that's showing up in my dreams. You know that I am that that guy that I'm always disagreeing with. That um, by entertaining the other, by imagining the other in a playful way. Well, I mean, it's all, it's all about embracing all your many characters. And we've all got different sh- um, aspects of ourselves when with our parents, with our work colleagues, and and especially when it, when you're around people you don't really like, that's actually a part of you that you don't really like. Mm. So that's when you have to start checking in with yourself, going, "Why well, don't I like that person? Is it something that I don't like about myself that I see in that other person?" Like, I was at Borderland this at this other festival, and uh, there's this guy who came up to me, and I spent one hour speaking to him as he was the embodiment of everyone that hates me so the audience know <laughs> um, I'm a I'm a unicorn polyamorous unicorn sex cult leader <laughs> that's actually not true that's what the Guardian have written about me and some other papers it's not true I wish it was true it's not true um, but basically there's a projection of myself out there in the world which people either love and a lot of people are inspired by it 
all they hate. And this guy was the embodiment of every... Like, he saw me as his shadow. Like, he's a guy that doesn't want to uh, show that he's shown off too much because he, th- he thinks it's egotistical. Whereas I'm all about self-love. Like, show off, please. We're here to, you know, show off and show up for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, we are all here to shine. Like, playing small doesn't serve anyone. Whereas this guy saw it as an egotistical, um, egomaniacal thing if you're showing off. And so, basically, I was his complete shadow aspect. And I sat there listening to his story about me. And it was interesting because he was the embodiment of everyone that hates me. Like, in his eyes, I'm someone that goes out of my way, dresses up as a unicorn. I'm a tantricorn. Uh, The fabulous of unicorns, check it out. Um, But he thinks I I go out of my way to get girls. He thinks I I, I do all these workshops just to get everyone to have sex with each other. He sees... I mean... Obviously, so, there's aspects of that, that that is true because everything is true and wrong at the same time. But he's he's seen. I mean, you do travel the world offering yoni massage, right? That's, that's sacredsexualawakening.com. <laughs> it's a thing. It's one of my biggest passions and changed my life and healed so many, like healed myself and allowed me to give tools to women to empower themselves to get uh, to ask for what they want mm-hmm. for the first time. Because there's nothing wrong with desire there's nothing wrong with harnessing your sexual energy for greater abundance and manifestation and sex magic so would you consider yourself an anarchist because he described me as a provocateur well because i mean you know there's like yeah i'm here to fuck shit up <laughs> there's i mean there's the sense of course I'm yeah, here that, to fuck I mean, up. you know it's like we were talking earlier about the the structures of you know like you build a dam because you're trying to prevent floods mm. because you've built your city on the floodplain you know because you need to be near the water you know, and, and I think, you know, and then we build this dam and it regulates things and it provides electricity, but it also fucks up the ecosystem, mm. you know, and there's this sense of, you know, it's our rigidity, which is totally forgivable because how are we going to, what are we going to do? We're going to build, you know, um, like some people build houses on stilts, mm. you know, that solves the problem, you know, but like for whatever reason in the West, we were like, you know, what we're going to do is actually build the world's largest wall of concrete you know and then we will control nature yeah we will we will us. dominate nature i'm, I'm <laughs> reading right now i'm reading william Irwin thompson's the american replacement of nature you know and it's 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 about this this in america in sweden it's not like that i've just been in sweden yeah it's, it's phenomenal a place of abundance sorry carry on yeah well i want to talk about that in a minute because because the thing here is it's so clear that there's this there's this line uh there's this this parallel between the way that we think about the body and the energies of the body and the way that we think about the land and the energies of the land and that the body really is something that the land is doing. I mean, we're all made out of this stuff. And so you see, uh, you know, like witch burning and dams and circumcision and... Monogamy enforced by the death penalty, and like all of this stuff is related. You know, the corset is a dam. You know, it was literally the corset was for uh, inhibiting a woman's ability to breathe, specifically intentionally, because it was believed that women were supposed to be weak, and and that they were supposed to be, you know, 
that they weren't they were not supposed to be outspoken and if you're if you're always short of breath how are you going to no. speak up for yourself is this, is this real yeah oh my god so the more i go into this work as in being in service to the goddess the more i see the conspiracies that's suppressing women like it's unbelievable the feats man has gone through to suppress women i have seen like i've always seen women as the most powerful creatures on the planet because it's up to them whether they have sex or not Mm. we're just men who are in service to them that's how i've always seen it just because i've been raised by my mom and like i'm surrounded by beautiful women and i barely have any male friends (laughs) (laughs) luckily i sleep with all my friends and they're all female I surround myself with gay guys. Oh, genius! Uh, that's not true. A little bit true. <laughs> but um, but yeah, the more I study the vagina, the yoni, the sacred space, the, the more I understand myself, because I understand where I came from. Like, we 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 are not taught how to touch, for example. We aren't. We 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 had absent fathers, or I'm speaking for myself then. Had a very violent absent father who wasn't there for me, so I don't really know how to nurture a male friend of mine. I do have male friends, <laughs> um, but I've I've been learning that. I've been tapping into my inner masculine to to actually find out what it is to be a man. Like I've never known what it is to be a man because I've had the worst role models, <laughs> and now I'm building my my inner man, my inner brother, my inner father. Because I took DMT and I saw Shiva. Hmm. <laughs> he came to me and I was like, oh, he's really hot. Who's that blue guy? Oh, I've seen him somewhere. And I started to research into Shiva. Who the fuck is this Shiva dude? And he's incredible. He likes having sex for years and years and years. He's an incredible dancer. And he's just really buff and hot. <laughs> and, and loves, you know, animal print like I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, tapping into my inner masculine has, has led me to a, a huge service to myself and and to the community I'm in and also service to the goddess. Well, the, the thing with that, too, is... And being know, present. Shiva was, is also a musician, mm. you know, and you get into that, that thing of, like, the rhythmic cycle, you know, the rhythm of breath. You're mm. playing the flute, you know, and the rhythmic cycle and the difference between, if you look historically at the way that male or female magic was practiced, you know masculine magic tends to be about the control of nature yeah the ex- the exertion of the will the projection of the will whereas feminine magic tends to be more about the alignment with na- mm. natural cycles yeah you know and so you know that's where you get back into this this thing about um you know the breath and the rhythm of the breath being suppressed by the corset and the mm. dam. And so there's this sense in which, you know, this is where, you know, I'm like, yes, because I love bringing it, for the sake of this podcast anyway, I love bringing it back again and again and again to the issue of time and temporality. And in this case, you know, there's, there's um, you know, you're challenging the, the sort of like linear past-future thing with this, this like open uh, embodied present but there's a rhythm in the presence you know there's a rhythm that allows it to move and it seems like you know the the solution to flooding is a rhythmical society in some sense you know that like like in um cambodia and these cities that live on floodplains where they don't have a dam they build all their houses on stilts 
and then they walk around when it's dry, and then they have boats, and they go, they take the boat from house to house when it's wet, mm-hmm. and they just adapt, and they remain present to the condition of that, you know, that season, yeah. rather than I'm trying to control it, rather than trying to exert, um, you know, and that's the thing that we were talking earlier about, like um, the thing that disturbs me about these, like. Um, you know, I'm as excited as anyone about the prospects of meeting a digital mind. You know, like meeting myself on the other side of the magic mirror and like the uploaded Michael or whatever. But for me, that's not... It's, it's about that encounter with the other. It's not about a project of attempting to remain this guy forever. This like project of physical immortality is the uh, the logical or rather illogical conclusion of refusing that cyclical creation and destruction, you know, and it's that rhythmicity that seems so. I mean, like, so how does that how does that how does that rhythmic quality? There's all these different cycles that are are in the sexual experience and are like in the in the body and like how does that show up in your work? The cycle of breath is the key. Breath, movement, and voice. Like, um, <clears throat> I can get into states by myself or with a, with a client or with a lover through breath, cycles of breath, that will get me into DMT state. That will get me into divine union with God. And all we're doing is breathing. In, in a certain way like there's a there's a thing that I do with clients when they're about to I get them to reach peace like my my three hour sessions um sacred sexual awakening um which is these shamanic tantric journeys basically and uh after they've connected their head heart and yoni together we go on this journey uh to discover themselves and the final act is the the clench and hold which is where you breathe 29 times and then the last three breaths are huge inhales and exhales inhales and exhales inhale and hold and you clench everything and you press your back and arms onto the mattress and like you tense everything whilst I'm working on your yoni with my hands mm-hmm. building up that energy and higher and higher and higher to the point that you mm-hmm. go to another galaxy it's super powerful it's the, the body electric school um, are you familiar with them they, they did a uh, a uh, like a uh, Male sexual massage mm-hmm. course at Burning Man that I participated in that used a very similar yeah a similar process. It's it's powerful stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially I don't know if I mean I uh, it was especially powerful to be uh, there with my partner doing this in a tent that was literally packed wall to yeah. wall with those people. This and is this, what people the, the intimacy out for this. Yeah, people want to know how to touch themselves and each other people want to connect and there was something about experiencing this really like sacred ecstatic sexuality um in, that isn't just fucking in a partnered context but in a situation where i'm like hanging out like almost like a bathhouse vibe where i'm like naked with like 50 other guys mm-hmm. that i'm not you know really like i have no 
you know, I'm like shoulder to shoulder with someone else that's having this kind of thing going on. And it's super powerful in a group. Yeah. Because you're all, the mirror neurons are firing. Everyone's like raising each other up. Yeah. It's, yeah. And you come out of it and everyone's like, did you, you know, and you're looking, you're exchanging these meaningful looks with these total strangers, you know, and that's, that's absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, the connection. I, I, I do a thing called um, a twin goddess awakening. Okay. As I'm a, as I'm a dancer, and I'm ambidextrous. I'm able to channel this healing power called the light of God into my heart, feeling that love feeling in my heart into my into my palms, and I have one goddess on my left hand side, another goddess on my right hand side, and I'm in the middle, and I create a circuit of energy where we are all channeling love. So we're all healing each other by loving ourselves, basically. And then I do the woo-woo stuff of moving the energy around, and then, and then I <laughs> the woo-woo stuff, <laughs> as opposed to all of this other stuff. <laughs> it's all woo-woo shit, but it works. I mean, I'm cured from loneliness, addiction, and depression because of this tantra stuff. Um, and then whilst I'm working on their yoni to activate and release tension in there and uh, to, to expand them with breath work and pleasure, one person's feeling something, which is, you know, ecstasy, bliss, or whatever. And then the other person starts to feel it too because of this whole mirror neurons thing. And they're both able to go on this simultaneous journey together because I'm doing exactly the same thing to both both goddesses at the same time raising each other's energies up and we're all connected in this state of expansion bliss breath work powerful stuff <laughs> so you were saying earlier you were talking about standing in front of this guy listening to this guy talk to you who uh, was the embodiment of like all of the misunderstandings yes you know and yeah, I have no idea. Part of the, the, the fun of, of recording these conversations... Or not recording them. Or accidentally not recording <laughs> an amazing conversation. That like, was way better. <laughs> it really was. It really was. We talked uh, about time travel and everything. Yeah. My favorite thing. Well, we'll have to get back to time travel. <laughs> okay. But, um, but, you know, it's. I am kind of curious. So did you... How did that resolve? Like, Because I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm like, you know... I, part of me is curious, like how do you, how do you inspire two women to participate in that kind of a thing? But then, like having that conversation is like evokes all of this like boy shadow bullshit, you know? That's your issue. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> whereas, absolutely. Whereas I see this as an actual tool to awaken people like if you take story out of this and if you take away the idea that I'm fingering two girls at the same time it turns into something different if you're if you turn it into a different story where this guy is actually channeling Shiva and is giving these women something that they've never experienced before because all men again story stereotypes or based on facts usually um all men are there to get something. I'm not there to get anything. I'm here to give them a feeling of pleasure or expansion or triggering them so they see shadow aspects of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I've got nothing to gain. I'm there to hold space for them. I have these tools that can activate them into, into awakening them, the, the goddess within them. 
Okay, so what what switched for you? Because we talked about we didn't get to this. We got to this in the the first unrecorded half. Right? <laughs> so what switched for you in you know go, you said yeah like, just elaborate a little bit on this story of you get from the from roving hate, the roving pack of hedonists and like <laughs> so. from I hate myself to I love myself to how can I serve that's, yeah. that's the internal monologue and the external world of that is heights of hedonism being a fuckhead travelling the world going to every single burning man on the planet being this fabulous unicorn not being able to sustain it because I kept on dying to having my awakening in 2000 hey actually I've just finished writing down my chronological awakening. Shall oh, I read it to you? Please. <laughs> Literally just finished it. My awakening. How long have we got? It's not that long. It's as long as it needs to be. Excellent. Good. This is not a fast food podcast. Excellent. So, May 2014, did my first tantra workshop with Esther and started a mythical therapy to help me with my addictions, relationship patterns, tantra, self-love, and achieving heart explosions, sober. Heart explosions was stuff I used to do when I used to do when I was on ketamine. Basically, it's this whole ceremony <laughs> that I used to do. Now I actually do them in my workshops, sober. Okay. Found out. Um, August 2014, Burning Man. Couldn't get drunk. Decided to quit drinking because I was upsetting too many people and almost dying all the time with kidney and liver damage. October 2014, my first ayahuasca ceremony. Learned to love myself, became a light warrior corn. She taught me how to dance differently, so now I float rather than being quite rigid. 2014, um, November, started training with the LED staff. That's why I'm here to be a light warrior corn. I use a Jedi stick, basically became a Jedi. Uh, a staff as a form of meditation uh, and the flow jam. Uh, basically, I invented a thing called light warrior corn meditation and flow jam. So I swapped one addiction for another, training to become a Jedi, which led me to a path of finding superpowers. Um, had my first conscious relationship and tantric lover and was tripping balls when making love sober and took acid and made love for hours reaching states of nirvana December 2014 spent Christmas with my other lover I'm polyamorous by the way Uh, and was able (laughs) what's that? I said I don't believe you why not? I really don't I mean in the sense you know possibly in like a um, because we went into this uh, while we were eating lunch mm-hmm. to interrupt you here. Yeah. But um, there's. What's the definition of polyamory? Well, I mean, you know, if you, you know, most people think, I think the misunderstanding of, of polyamory would be that that it's about. And maybe this is how it's actually practiced, and maybe this is how it's healthily practiced, you know. But it's it's still practiced within this realm of like duality and separation, and of like you got to get you know fairly good with yourself. But like yes. it's still cultivating multiple relationships. Whereas like for me, when I hear this kind of work, like I don't know how I could possibly sustain the awareness required to do this work without treating it more like the way that you hear like um, Cuban like uh, congueros you know when they're playing together they're not jamming with each other the way that they talk about it is that they're actually they're 
it's like they're jamming with God mm-hmm. and like whatever musical communication is occurring is going through the central router right. you know and that you're actually you know that there is there's a an esprit or an egregore or some sort of containing unity mm-hmm. that that's like the ghost of that three-way exchange you know maybe you love what look like three four or five people or whatever but it's actually five's optimum five's optimum yeah, yeah. it's interesting it's a freeze minimum well hopefully we can we can get back to the number thing um but that it's like really in that sense aren't you um sort of more you're more like in love all the time yes so you're not falling in love with specific people no I've fallen in love with those specific people yeah and I'm in love with myself all the time mm. there's, there's, I don't I don't use the term polyamory it's got a dirty word same with like, same with tantra I don't use that word anymore I use sacred sexual awakening and with polyamory I use the word transparent love Mm-hmm. There's five pillars to transparent love, which I created, which are trust, honesty, communication, respect, and transparency. It's the third principle of unicornia. <laughs> and basically, if you live by those five pillars, you can't really fuck up. And as, as long as you only sleep with strong, inspiring people that enrich your life, it's only a win-win. Like, you're growing mm-hmm. all the time. You're growing on how to communicate. You're growing on how to express your, your love. Hiya. And we're still working here. Are you aware of that? Jesus, we're going to make a little bit of noise. Okay. So sorry. It's okay. Perfect time to go for we, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> but yeah, transparent love. It's my biggest passion and my biggest growth. I, I could say... What, for me, is what works better because I've lived a monogamous life all my life. I was engaged once. I had very long-term relationships. What I've grown more is my polyamorous, transparent love lives. By far. Exponentially huge growths with these strong, powerful women. Conscious relationships, unconscious relationships as well. Well, let's get back to that at some point. Tell me when it's on. Alright, so we are back with the... Troubled but brilliant recording project. <laughs> Future Fossils Boom Special Episode 1. Uh, Michael Garfield here with Shaft Udden. Mm-hmm. And this is now like a six or seven hour conversation. I don't know. <laughs> we At some point, I'm going to have to great. make some new friends. <laughs> But wait till the festival starts tomorrow. Don't leave me. <laughs> it's okay. I'm fulfilled in myself. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> Complete undo ourselves. We've managed to uh, discover horrifying conspiracies mm. within each other. Hey, remember that time I said it's future selves of us thinking about us right now, and we were sat charging your phone. Yeah. Yeah, we're those people that we're we those people we knew that we would be. So this is so this is a great this is happening. This is a great thing because we just got into this this whole rap about the the past and the future and how they may be causing each other and it's not so simple as. And I wanted to ask you at the end of our last little bit about you mentioned time travel. Yes, I believe and, I believe in time travel. Okay, because you because not externally but internally. Because I asked you I asked you if you believed in fate. No. 
Okay, so this is where because there's a tricky there's a you know this spiritual paradox. Hey, we're, we're living in it right now. So and yeah, thinking nothing at the same time. So I have this theory of um, time travel. I saw this through my, one of my meditations and uh, sober meditations, and I basically realised it is recording, right? <laughs> so I realised we have been alive since, like I have been alive, cells in my body have been alive since the dawn of time. And they will be alive until the end of time through my children and everything like that. So I believe if we go deep inside ourselves enough, we could go back into ourselves through time and ancestrally through our lineage until the beginning of time. And forwards into time because that's, you know, through, again, Mm -hmm. on a cellular level into our children and, and so on and so on. I also believe in space travel, that we could go deeper inside ourselves into the things that created, you know, were created from stardust. We could go inside those molecules and go to parts of the world mm-hmm. and the universe that's out there. But going within rather than going outwards. Okay, yeah, so this is how I... I feel kind of the same way, and this is how I make sense of it. I think, you know, if you look at it in terms of the, the body being, you know, your organs come together they form an organism the organs are made out of tissues the tissues are made out of cells and so on that if you want to reach back or reach forward in that way then you end up the pro i think that the mistake that people make is in believing that it's like a human observer four billion years ago or whatever like okay so for example the myth of atlantis I wanted to speak about this. <laughs> okay. So here's what I think is... is uh, I think there's something... I think that we are all, we're all carrying around the racial memory of a traumatic event mm-hmm. that we believe... Lemuria and Crystal, I just Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to talk so, about that as well. Yeah. So I think that, like, we found out uh, recently that there's evidence that, you know, Graham Hancock did this, just put out a book about the evidence that we have now that there was a comet impact 13,000 years ago mm-hmm. and that this comet impact um, m- may have flooded, you know, like hit the North American glacier and flooded the world and that, that we have this this intuition that, you know, the sea levels rose all at, the, at that time because it melted the, the northern ice cap. And so we have this this... It, this it, this trauma that's worked into us uh, through epigenetic inheritance, all those little molecules binding to our DNA that are actually storing, in some crude sense, but you know, very fine and and um, complex, this the the events of our lives, you know, are being coded in some way into this meta layer on our DNA, mm. not in the DNA itself, but on it. Um, but I think if we go back even, so there's, so there's that sense of like, all of us remember there being some sort of like lost civilization, you know? Um, but I think if we go back even further, like that comet impact is something that this earth has been subject to repeatedly for millions and millions of years. 
and you know the the Cretaceous Paleogene extinction, the comet. I mean, the, the asteroid that you know punctuated the end of the age of dinosaurs. Or was it really us where we actually tr- came in from a bioorganic ship? Yeah. Where a dying star had all these souls <laughs> on it, and it landed here and it terraformed the planet to be like the other one. Well, another meditation. Well, I, have. I mean, but, then, but yeah. So there's the 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 question of like what constitutes life, what constitutes a soul, what constitutes you know where you know how how are these memories stored mm. you know like if if there's this thing about like people get heart transplants from a murder victim and they end up with memories yeah. of the murderer you know and i think that like there's this the oppenheimer quote you know i have become death destroyer of worlds you know he's like he's talking about shiva, shiva yeah. yeah and he's that's that's his his statement upon witnessing the nuclear test right and it's like well th- where did that that touches something really deep in us and I was thinking about they didn't know when they first launched the first nuclear tests whether they were going to set the entire sky on fire they were genuinely concerned that they would that testing this thing alone would be enough to kill everything you know that fear is actually I think rooted in the first mass extinction that we know of on earth which happened because algae learned to photosynthesize sunlight and carbon dioxide and create sugar and excrete oxygen and the oxygen was a poison at the time there was no life on earth that knew how to metabolize oxygen and basically like all animal life came out of this response to the situation where the most sophisticated life form on the planet at the time polluted the entire atmosphere and made it totally toxic for all life and drove all of the anaerobic bacteria underground and it split the tree of life into the the anaerobic and the aerobic into the animals and plants and bacteria and you know that were um capable of utilizing this metabolic waste and internalizing this fire and becoming relying upon the fire and relying upon it for like a, a glucose metabolism so like this is like written into us from the very deepest level and i think we mistake this in some respects for like memories of like we remember this on a cellular level our cells remember like the cells in our guts remember being driven underground and so you get all of these weird new age stories about aliens from the future coming to to tell us that you know that people are channeling these beings from that are saying you know we have to be careful or we're going to create this catastrophe and it's going to split the human race into surface dwellers and underground dwellers really yeah the dia mm-hmm. you know denver international airport underground bunkers and stuff and people are acting on this knowledge people are like building bunkers preparing for a catastrophe that happened two billion years ago mm-hmm. you know so that's my thought on that are we turning into those that that bacteria that's gonna that destroyed everything back then? Are we polluting the atmosphere so that that there will be another divine of some sort? Maybe it's like maybe it is this thing of like a, rep- a, a cycle a that cycle. continues to repeat itself at a higher level of order, and then you know so that we end up creating because because what are we gonna do with all this trash, right? See, like I- we we have to be able to metabolize it somehow. We have to turn pollution into food. Mm. You know, so yeah, we're creating new life forms that eat garbage. 
Yeah. I, I actually have every faith in the human existence and humanity. I was brought up on Star Trek, so I, I believe in a utopian society. This is why I used to go to every single Burning Man on the planet, a place where man, money doesn't exist. Everyone's gifting. Like there isn't scarcity. Everyone's embodying their their most magical being. Like they're, they're allowed to express themselves in, in the way they want. And no longer is there a need to you know consume and like make money. You're, there is no such thing as money. You're, you're just giving yourself to everyone in the most magical way. I believe society will end up like that easily because once we start working on ourselves, we'll start overflowing and that overflowing will just go into helping other people. For example, you know when like you get couples and they've fallen in love and they see friends who are single and they go, oh my God, I know someone's perfect then because we're in love and love is great so we want to share it with everyone. Mm -hmm. That's how we are in as humans. Once we start overfilling ourselves with love we just want to keep on helping other people ah but star trek has the prime directive so star trek you're not allowed to go around to other planets and being like you know we really think you'd be better if you were civilized no no of course not because that's what they did in christianity (laughs) (laughs) that's why um yeah i I believe that we will start flourishing as Uh we're in that point of you know well to be honest we're actually in a point of the most amount of peace on this planet has ever experienced. By some measures. Yes, as in, like, you know, war measures. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what do you mean, like, per death, deaths per capita? <laughs> as in wartime, peacetime scenario. Hmm. I don't know. I mean... I saw it on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I believe YouTube. <laughs> well, you're talking. You're talking about the Christopher Ryan and St- versus Steven Pinker argument. You know, the Steven Pinker is better angels of our nature, and he writes this whole thing about how we've gotten more and more peaceful. Mm. And then Christopher Ryan, who's a, a paleoanthropologist, went and said, "Well, you're 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 tr- you're cherry picking your data." Because there's actually, you know, really strong argument that all of all of these pre-modern tribes were very peaceful and then we introduced scarcity to them and that yeah we're more peaceful than we were a thousand years ago but maybe less peaceful than we were 15,000 years ago yeah so I want to know what happened before religion was there a matriarchal society was it all about nature was it all about sharing living off the off the, off, off the land like I heard there's a museum somewhere where they have a whole exhibition dedicated to matriarchal societies, which is, you know, nurturing, loving, living off Mother Nature, Gaia. And then in the other room, it's about patriarchal society, war. What happened mm. before religion? This goes to the ancient civilizations of, you know, Lemuria, Atlantis. Okay, Babylonia, so let's 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 e- Egypt. Let's bracket. <laughs> yeah, let's bracket. Um, I get my knowledge off YouTube and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> let's bracket the veracity of these things and let's let's discuss them. Like I, I like I like all of this being like discussed as if mm. you know because my my idea of time is very complicated and and multifarious and like maybe you know maybe it's just that like reality is an, uh, something that people that is like an agreement between perspectives yeah. human and non-human perspectives 
So, like, there may be pockets of this planet that have a completely different history than other pockets. Yeah. You know? Oh, there's the there's the woo. The, the, woo, the festival the woo. woo. <laughs> but let, let me, yeah, let me hear, because you've got, you're holding this crystal. We're here <laughs> at a Psytrance festival. We might as well go there. Okay. So, the ancients... Basically, I've got this crystal. I, I never really believed in that hippie shit. In fact, I'm very much from the corporate world. Art director, mm-hmm. worked in advertising for 15 years, very much in the normal world. And then the awakening happened. Now now I see things and hear things. Well, now we got to talk about the awakening first. Well, we, I, I read a bit of it. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you went through the... You, you, it was... It was uh, this polyamory. Is, this is, yeah. We got to polyamory. Polyamory and, you said and I wasn't really psychedelic healing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. And I was talking about transparent love. Well, basically, loads of things have happened, and I've cat- catalogued my awakening like through a chronological thing that has happened in my life Mm -hmm. and it's gotten weirder and weirder and weirder and the more I go down the rabbit hole the more people appear with these gifts and so the more is the switch for you was getting to giving from like trying to take something out of life rather than chasing life yeah now it's all about life comes to me like I got given a power up chip Moldavite um, I, I was told I'm all about superpowers so I was told uh, Moldavite if you have that crystal on you you could accelerate your spiritual growth uh, what you could learn in one year you could learn in three months I was like fuck I want that I fucking want that crystal and then lo and behold it landed in my hand at the end of my trip in New York last year where I cured myself of loneliness when I was amongst these amazing powerful divine masculine men who were all actively trying to change the world in some way and mm-hmm. there's this it's almost like Xavier's School of the Gifted where these men were getting together and they were all world changers in some way like one of the main guys he invented Buzzworthy okay um, yeah online thing uh, and yeah they were just all talking about their vulnerabilities and sharing their emotions and talking openly and crying and hugging and actually being a gentle warrior of love and he gave me this Moldavite crystal, which showed me in my... I was having the most ridiculous dreams for the first few nights I was wearing it. And uh, the Moldavite said to me, you are... You've attracted so much light into you. You're growing in such a way that you're like a, jagged, a juggernaut of light. So you don't have to keep on chasing and being that hare and running fast to, to get all this information. You, you're, you're like the turtle who could just sit here and things will just come to you. That's when I realised I no, no longer need to chase life. Life comes to me. And it's true, it does now. And things just keep on coming into my lap. And this Lemurian crystal was something that was said by Sweden's number one unicorn. She said... <laughs> How, is that determined by YouTube hits? Or what is that? <laughs> just Facebook and so, like the world saying she's Sweden's number one unicorn. Can I, am I, is that a self-declared thing? Can I say <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. I'm the number one paleontologist futurist? Well, if, if it's validated in some kind of press article or anything like that, or a TED talk, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> You've got to have at least one form of external validation. <laughs> I'm sure I can get somebody to say that. <laughs> then, then, then you got it. <laughs> But yeah, apparently if you meditate with this, you could go um, back and get some knowledge about the ancient history of Lemuria. And I did this. I actually meditated with it. Um, Me and uh, another lover did, and we both learnt a few things. So... 
ball are we projecting onto it? Well, that's, <laughs> well, because here's the thing, right? Is that the whole first half of this conversation, or like the first two thirds of it, this like the the part that we skipped, the, or that was lost to the the, the digital record, yeah. was about <clears throat> how prof- this profound change in your life for you occurred around around the. Uh, you know this issue of love and seeing love as something outside of you versus seeing love as something inside of you you know so the question I, I guess I have is like if you assume you got, it's got to be like a holistic shift right like uh-huh. to what extent and this is what I was getting about earlier is like if I'm projecting the image of an ideal lover onto all of these people how do I know that I'm not actually projecting like for example Rupert Sheldrake the British scientist he has this research on the eyes. It's it's very like it, it's kind of confirms this shamanic thing that the eyes don't just receive information, but they actually transmit information because people can feel when they're being stared at. You know. Yeah. And yeah. He wrote a book about that. Yeah. The he sense wrote, of being. He wrote a book about that. He, no, he wrote a book. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I read it, so yeah. The sense of being stared at, right? Yeah. So there's this shorthand would be like a quantum handshake mm. that we're actually, or like theosophist uh, Rudolf Steiner talks about that by witnessing, by observing a flower or something, that we're we're exalting the spirit of this vegetable intelligence by observing it as a human being and that there is a sense in which that this gets back to like the like the biblical like uh, Adam naming the plants and animals that naming is like a, a form of sacred recognition and that like this gets into like insoling technologies like to name a thing gives it this this life it it, it raises it to yeah. a new level of being and like to observe something turns it from a possibility into an actuality mm-hmm. right so i feel like stories like this it's like are they it doesn't it's not so much whether or not they're projections as it is how many people are projecting it and how many people does it take for that for us to reach critical mass and that story to become true you know but I'm curious. Okay, so like with all of that in place, like I want to hear like how this went and like what you learned. Well, well, one of the best quotes I heard about me, something about you know mass, uh, mass knowledge. Um, one, yeah, it was basically on my YouTube um, video, million mm-hmm. hits. Uh, the best quote, like the comments are fucking hilarious. I love them. Uh, they're really damaging. <laughs> fucking brilliant YouTube is troll delicious I know it's, it's yeah. amazing and the best thing about trolls is they actually look like trolls <coughs> and one of them was if one person thinks something crazy they call him delusional if a group of people think something crazy they call it a cult if society thinks something crazy they call it a fact mm. so you know well fact is like the word fact means a construction like it's an artifact you know, it's something that we make, and there's there's all sorts of really good academic writing on you know how we've we didn't used to have facts, we didn't call things facts, <coughs> you know. Or William Irwin Thompson says, a fact requires a theory like a flame requires an atmosphere. You have to make certain assumptions in order to believe a thing to be true, mm. you know. 
But I still want to hear more about this crystal and like what what you think uh, you have. Am I projecting on? Yeah, divined I mean, from this this thing. Well, I this one time on Iboga, I came out and um, we all hugged a tree, and it was very calming and grounding. And a friend of mine said, if you ask a tree a question, it'll give you it'll give you an answer. And uh, so every time I'm in a bit of doubt, I always go and ask a tree, mm-hmm. and it and it literally gives me the answer straight away. <clears throat> to the point that when I go towards the tree, my internal dialogue goes, "There's no point asking it; you already know it." Uh huh. Okay. So this is the thing about this um, this crystal. Um, I was meditating with it, and I did see some visions, which were. Um, these little kids running around in these pretty awesome outfits. Looked a bit like Princess Amidala from <laughs> Pawn Star, Phantom Menace. <laughs> and um, and yeah, then then she uh, there's this huge explosion and then this monstrous smoke was overgulfing everything and the city went underneath. Um, but in in the caves and stuff, there was these uh, crystals which are the brain cells of this planet and they everyone was like meditating to these crystals and they were downloading their entire history and source books into these crystals and that's where their memories of themselves lay until they were found again that's what the vision saw okay so i i have to say that for what this is worth and we are thoroughly if my if the podcast co-host were here to like rein me in, we may not even be having this conversation because he is uh, a little bit more beholden to like science and engineering in the classical sense. But I, you're not the only person that's told me this this notion of embedding memory into crystal forms. And that it's not that necessarily these crystals have, like... Remember, I never used to believe in any of this shit, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Until so, things started happening to me, so my own personal experience made me go, oh, actually... Because, I, cause I, I, you know, I, I wonder, like... I've had these experiences, like, my first DMT trip, where I was... I came out of it convinced that we were going through this, this phase... Of electromagnetic like, pole reversal on the planet, and that there were certain hormonal effects that would happen that would uh, basically lead to uh, an endogenous DMT release due to the decay and reversal of the Earth's magnetic fields. Mm-hmm. And I'm not convinced now that that's that's I, I saw it as this catastrophic event unfolding over the span of days, and now it seems like we are going through that, but it may take centuries. And so it's it's. I think we have this this bad habit of people as like assuming that the the visions that we have are going to like take place within our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, as soon as I had that vision, I had never researched anything about what they call this. There's an entire field called biogeomagnetism that's about the relationship between human hormone and animal hormonal cycles, the Earth's magnetic fields, and the solar activity. And there were there was already like fairly well developed theories about how solar cycles affect trends in culture and trends in history, and that that certain solar maxima and minima can be correlated with like cycles of the intensity of violent conflict mm-hmm. and like certain aesthetic trends in culture. You know, like you flip like it's called the uh, Sekhmet hypothesis. 
And it's, you know, you flip between, like, free love, hippie kind of culture, you know? It's like an aesthetic. And then you move into, like, you know, leather, goth, straight jackety. Like, you go from, like, you know, the Flaming Lips one decade and then, like, Marilyn Manson. And, you know, and you go back and then it's, like, you look at it. It's, like, the 80s were kind of kind of one way, the 70s and then the 60s. And you get this, it's, like, every 11 years or something. And I, and I just, you know, this is not something that I, I was primed with going into this experience. And I've heard my friends who really intense lucid dreamers have told me that they've had these, these dreams where they were, uh, Atlantean wizards that were programming crystals that with human, like human consciousness and embedding memories in the crystals and that they were doing kind of dark things with them. And my buddy was like, basically like, I have to like deal with the fact that I was kind of a bad person and abusing technology. And I got what I got my like just desserts and this past life and that we got what we deserved. And I don't know, I don't do, know how do I feel about that. Past life aggression? I just paid $400 for my one. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you do that when you can talk to a tree for free? <laughs> <I> know, <right? laughs> well, well, to be honest, <coughs> this trip that she took me on was clearer than ayahuasca and iboga. And it was just myself. And she was just literally guiding me through. Like she, she, one minute she'd be like saying, what are you wearing on your feet? Five more feet to one now. And then I'd just say, describe what I was wearing. And one of the past life regressions I had was... Um, I was a fairy god king from another planet who defeated the Anunnaki and freed my people. I was like the chosen one. It went way deeper and she activated my DNA and stuff like that and things actually have changed. But how true is that? <laughs> like a lot of spiritual people use these past life things as a crutch. Like my former lover, she she's like a, a, a famous tantrika in London and she put a lot of blame on the end of our relationship to men betraying her back in the, her priest days in her past life and it's carried on into this life I'm like mm, I don't believe this this is why I paid $400 to find out is this true yeah did I did I abuse somebody <laughs> once but, but like, well, it's, it's, it's fair to say that we probably all oh, did yeah. you know if past <laughs> lives exist we were all the executors of genocide and the victims of another genocide and, and it's time for us to just from, kind of from the yeah. enslavement um but is it really I mean is there only a, a set amount of souls that keep on going into flesh vehicles all the time no I don't believe that I don't believe that either but I do think that there are certain recurring well hey you wanna you wanna yeah, join yeah. us sure. what we have a we have a we have an audience member who's participating now. <laughs> a third well, a third member of this champ. What's your name, man? Camillo. 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 It's a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. What's your I'm name? Closer. I'm Shaft. Shaft. Nice. And you? Michael Garfield. And this is this is Future Fossils podcast episode okay. eleven. Oh, cool. Just so you know. Cool. Nice. We're well, talking you know, about for, time. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, from what I've, what I what I've learned from people who speak about past life regression or experiences of. Uh, having these dreams and having these visions of past lives um, I I do always seem to notice that there are recurring themes within the past lives that you remember because obviously you can't remember them all or maybe someone can but you know 
Most people can't. And what I see is that there, there are these recurring themes in, in the life they have now that, you know, overlap with what they see from those past lives. You know, there are these recurring themes of maybe being abused by a lover or, you know, being the victim of, of a certain thing or being someone who does a certain thing, you know, a certain thing you consider bad to do. And they fall into the same patterns in this life, but in, in another sort of circumstance, which allows them to actually do it differently this time and in that way learn from past experience in the now in in, in this life and even for me myself from from you know the, the things that i've experienced it seems to be true so that's why i've become a believer of that you know i, I, I always be skeptical i always think you know maybe everything i believe isn't true but on the other hand there are these these patterns you can recognize within these kinds of phenomena so it seems quite plausible to me that there is this this sort of um, cycle of learning that a soul goes through. Yeah. And also, I don't know that the, the question of how literally true it is is exactly the right question. Because, again, maybe what we think of as literal truth is more of an, more a consequence of where we are as a people historically right now. That we don't we don't sort of realize that we're in this Russian doll of nested dreams, you know? And so we regard local reality as reality. And then you get out of that atmosphere and it gets more and more diffuse relative to where we are. When you have your awakening, like I had my life planned out (laughs) and I was very happy living that life. And I didn't want to be where I am right now, but due to having to wake up to myself and deal with my own shit I've gone really like I, I'm just just on the on the edge of the rabbit hole looking in and this reality that I live now is way better than the old one it's harder because I'm having to deal with every single emotion and every single trigger and every single part of myself but I'm feeling more I'm living more I'm loving more I think, I think that's the thing that makes living more consciously uh, such, a, such a good thing to do because on, the, on one hand the harder stuff gets harder but the better stuff gets better <clears throat> so <laughs> what, or, or everything just plateaus in a steady wave rather than a high and a massive low and a high and a low it's all crashing it's all emotions it's all where it be- you become a bit more like a Jedi and like yeah. the stream of emotions is a bit more steady but everything's always going upwards Okay, so we're but, a dip once yeah, in a yeah. while, but, but very rare. You're right about this. There's an interesting thing about you know it's like not everyone can possibly remember being Cleopatra, yeah. right? Not yeah. everyone could be could have been an, a Lemurian wizard. Yeah. Come on, like what's going on there? Why do we why do we have this these recurring patterns in these spaces? You know, in these like all, these non ordinary states of consciousness. Like I have a friend who took a year to turn on as many people for their first DMT trip as he could. Mm. And his payment was that he would have them write a full trip report. And then he would go... He went back and he he basically cross-examined all of the trip reports and found patterns in all of these people's experiences. People who had no previous programming or preloading, you know, they didn't know what to expect. And yet things kept showing up in all these people's trips. One of which was, and you mentioned earlier that you had, you saw this blue man 
Shiva. Yeah. And it's like, well, 19 out of 123 of these DMT trips that he recorded from people's first times included the blue lady. That there was a, this specific figure and that every time she showed up, she was there to reveal that the DMT space was not what it appeared to be. She was a destroyer of illusions. Golly. Yes. <laughs> and, and so you're like, so, okay, so here is something that is transcendent to culture. It's not particular to a person's cultural upbringing. Exactly. It might be that he was using the same substance and that it's triggering that there's something going on there. But he ended up making a field guide of the entities that inhabit that space based on this proto-big data analysis of DMT tripping. And so every time I've taken DMT, I've always seen these... Circus Soleil-like characters, these jesters, always luring me in. They always pop out of my visuals, and then they take me into my trip without fail. Mm. And I've done a few DMT trips now. Like, a few, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do they appear in anyone else's? They're oh, yeah. always these sexy, like, very Circus Soleil sexual characters. Yeah, that, that theme appears over and over, yeah. and the shape changes... The, the appearance changes, but the character the is the character is constant. Yeah. This notion, and Terrence McKenna talked about that a lot about it having a very circus vibe. Yes. Why? What is that? Well, this, this is what I'm talking about the the narrative strand of Uboga. Like it catalogs the masculine side of your ancestral lineage, and that's what happened when I had my Uboga trip. And like ayahuasca, there's always a snake or something in it. Mm. <laughs> like there's a, there's always a narrative strand to these trips. I heard this weird story about this kid in, in Michigan who ordered ayahuasca off the internet without any knowledge of what it would do. I think it was Michigan. Some Midwestern American kid mm-hmm. ordered ayahuasca, did it at home alone, without any ritual container, without any psychological priming, without any knowledge of the indigenous traditions around it. And had, like, jaguar and anaconda visions. Yeah. So clearly there's something, I think, it's just like we were talking about with the eyes. And information coming in and also moving out Mm -hmm. through the eye. That reality is not in a particular place. Reality is in the relationships between things. But why did he see that? Well, I mean... And he had no knowledge of all the other shit. Well, yeah, have you read Jeremy Narby's book? The, you, you, you're not no, much of a reader. Read. <laughs> so Jeremy Narby, Cosmic Serpent. Uh-huh. It's like, and it's a it's a legendary work in psychedelic and anthropological literature. Mm-hmm. This guy went down to the Amazon because he was helping the native peoples catalog their me- medicinal plant knowledge so that they could not be exploited by corporations. And one of the things that he, that came up for him again and again was he's like, how did you find out that this plant cured this particular ailment? Like, how did you find out that this plant was good for treating a snake bite? And they were like, well, the plants told us. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, this plant, the flower has these two little fangs on it. And it's saying to the monkey, this is for snakes. It's, it's communicating to us because we're visual thinkers. And it, there's, a, there's a co-evolutionary relationship that's ancient, It's an ancient relationship. And so we as modern people are surprised by this thing. And he's like, well, why is it that all of the world around 
has this relationship to snakes specifically you know why is it that in every shamanic or medicine tradition around the world even in places where there are no snakes same dragons as well yeah what what is what is the snake thing what's the snake thing and what he came to was he believes that in these visionary states they're actually getting a microscopic view of the workings of the internal dimensions of the human body and that they're actually looking at their own DNA I've, and that yeah I've had visions of that during during mushroom trips where I would actually uh, I would be sort of sunk into my own body in a way that I you know I, I closed my eyes and what I would see was these I, w- I would it would like zoom in to my cells and it would like show me these, these we- patterns weaving to- together to form to form new shapes and it was like I was looking at the molecular structure of my own body as I was lying there and I think it's very interesting because I think that there is a way for a body in, in the different states of consciousness to actually reinterpret its own signals and to reform that into something that you interpret visually mm-hmm. when it's actually signals that usually are interpreted in another way in your brain so and that's actually a very interesting thing that most psychedelics do is that they connect different brain regions to uh, reinterpret signals that are usually interpreted in, in one in one in one spectrum so for example something that you see just the way that music becomes visual in some trips you're you're reinterpreting your audio signals through your visual cortex and that happens on many different levels in in, in ways we, we still don't understand so i think it's quite possible that um there are these recurring patterns for everyone based on how our dna functions and based on how these compounds function that will actually uh, give us these also with dmt these these recurring archetypes dependent on you know how your dna works and how yours is you're gonna you're, you're going to see a different archetype someone had that archetype of the circus and others will run into different types of entities but there are definitely categories within that within which that that goes so so I notice this with different schools of spirituality. Like, I I use the energy signatures of Shiva Shakti. I'm not a Hindu or anything like that. Uh, And I channel Shiva. I'm not a Hindu. I just (laughs) channel Shiva, and I'm a tantric awakener. And I kind of look look like... Ten principles of unicornia, that's what I'm about. Um, (laughs) But there's people from other spiritual schools that believe in angels. I reckon it's all the different and en- it's all the same type of energy entities, but we're taking it from what we can relate to. So mm. people be- talk through angels. I talk through energy signatures of you know Shiva. Yeah, right. I-, I think that a lot so of those entities actually ha- share the same energy signature. Yet, yeah, based on your culture exactly. and your own like, your own like genetic uh, you know story, yeah. you you re you 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 interpret it in a different yeah. way. Like it forms a different. A different visual, yeah. but the energy signature is the same. That's why there's also these overlapping patterns in all kinds of figures of gods and demigods throughout different cultures all over the world. What, what I've realised is because I've been studying religion for a little while now, because I I have my own <laughs> ten <laughs> principles of Unicornia channeled in Jerusalem, just as valid as all the other ones. Uh, Four thousand people believe in it. <laughs> That's you're almost at the institutional level where you need to watch out that you don't create a priesthood. Wow. Maybe you should. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You get a free fucking building in London, apparently, if you build a church. You know, in the United States, you don't have to pay taxes if this you. This is a why I want to or... have a church. I'm not even joking. This is why my dad doesn't like the idea of me starting a church because he thinks I'm doing it for tax fraud. And I'm like, no, no, I'm ordained. It's real. Yeah, you are ordained. Yeah, so... See, I actually want to build a Galactivation temple. 
okay. where people come together every Sunday. Again, I've been witnessing stuff all around the world and how religion works. Like, there's always some kind of ten principle of something. Ten principles mm. of Burning Man, Ten Commandments, um, the Twelve Steps. Hey, um, so I have my own principles, ten principles of unicornia, and also every religion ha- always has some kind of way of opening you up through sound. So be it mantras, um, hymns. What I want to do is bring power ballads into this, opening up everyone through the joy and playfulness of power ballads. Uh, then the ceremony starts. I'll be telling them about. Holy shit, thing. dude! Let me help you write some unicorn power ballads. Amazing! Uh, yes. Yeah, I'm into you it. You do that thing. I love. I love writing power ballads. <laughs> I fucking love it. Uh, and then, like, every every Sunday, someone comes... Because I'm all about having your own principles, principles to live by. Why share other people's when you don't truly believe in it? When you can create your own. And, and I believe in radical self-acceptance. Like, accept your own selves, live by your own rules. And... And my church will be all about embodying your own mythical, empowered self. So you'll come along there, sparkled up in your own mythical self. We'll all celebrate together. And at the end of it, there's always, like, in all the conscious communities, there's always a Sunday dance. So ecstatic dance. So it's moving our energy around, sharing, and and just playing. And that's a great way to end your weekend, start your... So you do it on a Saturday? Sunday. Oh, Sunday. Sunday morning, it's 11 a.m. Mm. I already have the place in, in, involved in, in, in Sweden, the land of abundance and peace and blondes. <laughs> blondes. Of course. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe it's a good time to wrap around to the, this time travel deal. Mm. You know, because for me, it's like all of this stuff, like uh, Camille, you were saying... It's like there is, it's being interpreted through a human body. And so there's a sense in which we know that something is happening, but it's being filtered through this stained glass window and we can't see around the filters that we are. This was the Jeremy Narby thing. You know, he eventually came out of that research and into he discovered that there's an entire Russian science examining biophotonics which is the study of light in the body actual photons and what he found was that the DNA is this flexible quasi crystal people approve <laughs> yes. we believe in the quasi crystal that it's this rapidly jittering, super complicated crystal, and it's a crystal that, that like a piece of quartz, if you squeeze a piece of quartz, it emits a small electric charge. It's the piezoelectric effect. It's what powers it. It's what the principle behind digital watches, guitar pickups, microphones. So he's like, the same principle is happening in the DNA. And that every time the DNA changes shape, certain regions of it are being squoze and emitting light. And, and it's a single photon at a time, so it's actually technically a laser because it's coherent light. And that he came to this, this conceit that there's actually a biophotonic internet that already exists that we're just tri- simply trying to reproduce with our fiber optic internet. And that, that DNA in different organisms is communicating with the DNA in other organisms all the time 
and that that's why certain regions of DNA are what we call you know like the junk DNA are these like massively repeating sections that actually function more like an antenna and that the DNA is not so much storing information as it is conducting information from this field of communication and so like it's actually it's drawing a specific human experience or non-human experience out of this field of possibilities like uh, like a TV receiver because you know you turn the set and then the crystal inside the television is attuned to specific wavelengths and then you end up watching like Bonanza instead of you know Seinfeld or whatever so in light of that are all of these past life regressions and channeled intelligences and all these things it just seems like you know maybe the medieval view of things as this endlessly regressing like celestial spheres you know is is closer to the the, the truth it's like the supra literal truth it's like all of our literal truth actually exists within this wash of stuff that is less and less true the further we get away from it but if we were to move over there maybe the things that we think are completely impossible are like on the other side of the sphere and if we move to where the sun is setting then we'd have a half different reality and if we chased it all the way around to where it's night we'd have a completely different reality where all the things that we think are true are impossible you know if you mapped it all in three dimensions Things also very interesting what you mentioned about the photonics is that there's actually been this experiment done with DNA where they attach photons to DNA and the later they remove the DNA from the space in which they from the space which they use to do that and the photons actually stay within the shape that they had when they were bound to the DNA so there's in a certain way there's a sort of a memory retention of the movement that the DNA gives to the photons the energy states that they go in and so I mean we're touched by light all the time and a lot of light reactions with photons happen in all of our bodies all the time in plants and animals and everything and so it, it, it sort of shows that there is this sort of photonic memory going on all the time and also these people who researched um, these photons within the body and they try to map it all out you know they also try to map the meridians they also find out that we emit a special type of photon sometimes they're called biphotons which is basically a photon of the exact same energetic charge but they're they're like a couple like they they come together and they're actually we actually radiate them like if you would if you would actually be able to to um, zoom in on them and really see them it would be like showing someone's aura which is very interesting and if you and if you think about it that there is a sort of memory tension in the in those photons then we're always having these fields around us like everything that has dna is always having these sort of fields around them in which there's information contained and we're always picking those that information up we're always picking up those signs all forms of life are so in a way we're always sharing the history of our dna not through chemical processes but through you know light processes i only just activate reactivated my uh, my ability to see auras at borderland it was quite something like back in the days like 
2000, I was going through a bit of a thing and I was able to see auras. And then I was like, oh, this is really weird. A and bit I, of a thing. <laughs> I basically suppressed my superpowers. And I just kept... I basically chose to live a shallower form of existence consciously so I wouldn't have to deal with anything about politics or religion or anything more substantial because what really made me happy were... In fact, it was a quote by the Finchmeister in American Pie, getting paid and getting laid. That's all I ever cared about. And it made me super happy until two years ago where I had to have my awakening. And um, at Borderland, I, was, I activated this, this thing I once had, which was able to see my aura. And I was with uh, a lady who, who were both mythical, magical creatures dancing in a way that we were moving our energies around. Uh, which is what I do in my tantricorn dance into bliss workshops where everyone can move energy around and do conscious touch and like feel things without touching um, and yeah we activated our, our auras again just through the power of grace and then yeah, I haven't done it since because I've been too busy but yeah it was a very magical thing because I was like fuck babes I can see auras again and she's like oh my god so can I it's like fuck this is amazing let's go and make out <laughs> So some things change. <laughs> Michael Crichton talked about that in his autobiography. You know, he, he received an Ivy League medical training and was a super skeptical, rational guy. And then was, if I remember, just sort of conned into, or his friend really insisted that he get into this workshop in New Mexico where they were teaching people how to feel in CRs. And... It freaked him out because he wasn't. He was experiencing something that he was. Can't explain. <laughs> that well, beyond not being able to explain, he actively believed it was not the case. He actively believed it was bullshit, and yet he followed the program. He took the steps. You know, he did the exercises that he was recommended, and it led to the result, the, the promised result, which was. To, to being able to see not just auras around people but he said he looked out into the hills yeah. and he saw the glow generated by all the biophotonic yeah. he didn't use those terms because he wasn't no. thinking about it in terms of a mechanism but it does seem like there is for me that's important for me I, I need yeah. like I really want I don't need but I really want to have at least a working explanation yeah see yeah. I used to be like that until weirder and weirder and weirder <laughs> shit gets on happening to the point that I just accept it now like in tantra we are always working with energy like constantly it's, it's just a part of what we do now like you, you could create energy right now so here put your hands together and just rub it as hard as you can really hard really not faster than that Jesus fuck properly really go for it and now hold still and now pull it together a centimetre apart centimetre <laughs> and just move your hand just like like that a little bit and can you feel any kind of thing between your fingers your hands I always feel uh, a circling motion between the palms of my hands there's an energy flow there and yeah. when they when you put them together one goes one way the other goes the other yeah. way and it cre creates this vortex in between your hands that's exactly it's really nice to make it's really nice to make energy balls with that yeah. <laughs> it's a so, lot of fun <laughs> chi qigong all that shit yeah. that's energy um, you can channel love and light into it and heal it and use it as healing energy I put that healing energy on a yoni i.e. a vagina <laughs> and that that creates 
powerful expansion in, in women and an activation within them. So yeah, there's this energy shit which is real, which is probably just heat. <laughs> but it's more than that. <laughs> well, it can't just be heat because I've seen... Exactly, because it's not. I've, seen, <laughs> I've, I've sat in a circle of people where they've put a little pinwheel on a pin and it's resting there and it's under a glass dome mm -hmm. and you just kind of point at it in the direction you want it to spin yeah. and in a group of people you can kind of like sit there and some people are clearly better at it than other people some people can get the little thing that you're clearly not touching and you're not blowing on it and your your heat isn't getting through there it's happening way too fast for it to be body heat mm -hmm. and yet some people are clearly like i'm gonna i'm gonna push it the other way I and there's that, a physicality to it i do that with smoke in a bonfire when i'm around a hippie circle <laughs> uh, and there's smoke coming towards me i just go like that yeah i put my thumbs up actually i do that <laughs> both thumbs up and just will it to move the other way and it always does and i just get people around me come on let's all will it and it goes the other way I don't know what it is. I just stop questioning. Like, I think it's really just that you learn to influence your own like energetic field. It's yeah, just, you have this. Everyone has this field around them, and do. it's just a matter of, of learning how to move your energy mm. within your body, but later also without your body, so to speak. And uh, it's really nice because because for me, I've I've been doing that for quite a while in my life because it was very natural for me as a child to do that. And I've I've had a lot of people along the way who you know I start talking about that and want to learn more about, it, and they're very skeptical and they they don't really believe it. They really believe there's chi or all these things. You know, they're like, oh, that's all you know, all this hippies bullshit. And I just show them and I'm like just just follow these people, steps. Just yeah. do this with me, and they they really feel it. Yeah. When people embody something, they they their the brain waves start changing. They, they, they start to expand and that when once they've embodied something felt it then they believe it and that's what happened to me going down this path like when I felt all this weird shit going through my body I just don't question anything now like the fact that I lived a life without sex magic <laughs> and I have a life with sex magic I had a life without coincidences without synchronicities without manifestations because yeah. I didn't know about it now I'm more aligned to my truth now things just pop into place yeah. all the time like it's not that hard <laughs> anymore think, like if I think it's, it's like Burning Man you go to Burning Man everyone's heart is open you can think of something and people in a gifting mentality it's like yeah. oh, I really want to drink oh I've got a drink here you go that's what I love <laughs> about these festivals because every time I go to one of them you think of something everything, something everything everything manifests exactly as Exactly. As my intention goes, yeah. as long as I'm in a, within a loving intent, everything goes perfectly. Yeah. But once I, I lose that, I've, I've had that, you know, that I was tripping for too long, and it was just like I was only in my pain mode, and I was feeling all the negative things, and all the coincidences stopped. Was before that, you know, people that I was thinking about were like coming right around the corner, just ten seconds after yeah. I think of them exactly. in a row, like ten people in a row that I was thinking of. They were just like popping up. And, and all the things that I wanted. Oh no! Now I feel like smoking a joint, and someone hands me a joint. Like it's two seconds later. It's because everyone's in that open, loving vibe. Yeah. Like Copang Yang when I was there. For me, that's like a, a sustainable version version of Burning Man. No one has a diary. No one organizes anything. For someone like me who used to work in advertising, I'm all about deadlines. I was like, but we've got to diarize it. It's like it's in flow. If it'll happen, it happens. And it's literally like that now. It's like I think of someone, and then they'll appear without me having to. So this is an interesting thing because, like, a big part of the, you guys have never even heard this podcast. 
a big part of this podcast, this is all framed around exploring the nature of time and what it is. I mean, we, we obviously go off on huge tangents, and it's great. <laughs> but, like, I, I, I love bringing it back to... Because, you know, I'm a super Capricorn type, perhaps, or something. And I'm a unicorn. Capricorn <gasps> it's a unicorn. It's myth- a mythical yes. match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the... There's something about when I asked you earlier if you're an anarchist, mm, a you know, a provocateur. Yeah, there's this thing about my experience of Burning Man was that it's like a physical version of the internet. Every camp is like a website. You know, the camp might be from people from all over the world, but they all have the same kind of. They're all existing in what William Irwin Thompson calls the, the same noetic polity as we get more and more capable of communicating with each other across the globe and eventually beyond the globe, right? That we're going to align along not geographical boundaries, but mental boundaries that we're going to filter in the things that are sort of either intentionally or unintentionally aligned with who we are. So like rule 34 of the internet is if it exists, there's porn of it, right? And so all of these people, you couldn't have had furry conventions before the internet because everyone who was dressing up in an animal suit to have sex thought they were the only person, (laughs) you know, or they had to invent a secret code that they could put in the classifieds or whatever. And so like here at Burning Man is like, this is the physical reality of it. But in that sense, it's also everything happening at once. You know, and it seems kind of to me, I'm curious what you think about the future is like, do you see that as becoming an inherent characteristic is, is this sort of unscheduled fluid simultaneity a characteristic of the future? Like as we get, as we get like, as we start recording more and more and more all the time, then we're not only living in the past more, but we're we're extracting knowledge and wisdom out of that that is projecting forward, and it, we're getting better and better at anticipating, you know, what the weather's going to be like in a week, you know, where, you know, what the fashion is going to be like next season. What you're get, Google wants to know what you're going to want before you even know what you want it. <laughs> you know, they're going to get so good that they're they're selling you the exact thing before you even ask for it. You know, so in that sense, it's like everything's happening at once. Doug Rushkoff wrote that book, Present Shock, when everything happens at once. Mm-hmm. And yet, and like that could be kind of terrifying because it's the it's what he called narrative collapse. It's the collapse of this idea that there's a one past and one future because now you're existing in a world where there's 50 million cultures and all of them have a different story and they're all obviously got a piece of it. How do you schedule a world like that? Well, this is the thing. So since being on this journey, like I've only been to London. So in January, I went to Charlotte School in Hawaii. <clears throat> then I quit my career in advertising. And then I went back to advertising for three weeks to make some money and leave. And then ever since then, I have been on this. I've, I, my mantra is abundance and flow. So I never schedule anything. I never know where I'm going to go. Life organises my life for me. So the only time I've actually looked at my diary and gone, I need to write something down, because I'm all about deadlines. Lit. I've got things to do. List. My life used to be governed by goals. It's, 
is when I go back to London. Like, I've got to go back to London in, in a week, and I'm already scheduling in who I'm going to see because of that limited time. Apart from that, in this reality of mine that I am as, like, a this tantric urban guru, it just happens. I, I never have to worry about shit. Like, it's... Life is just doing the work for me. I'm... The people I, I need to meet, <laughs> I'm meeting. Mm. Whereas in the default world, which is the collective consciousness of that society, i.e. London, which is scarcity, deadlines, meetings, everyone's trying to get somewhere, organisation, organisation, that impends on your reality, because that, that becomes the norm. Whereas the norm here is when you see someone, you go, let's see if it's in flow, kind of a spiritual bypass, no agreements. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's also a little bit real, because if you really need to see that person, the universe will allow you to see that person. So, I mean, but do you think that that's going to be... The like, future? Yeah. Do you think that we're headed into a more fluid if, relationship if we, to time? If we end up in communities, yes. If we end up in conscious communities like in Ubud or Kopangyang, where I've been spending a lot of my A Diary of a Tantricorn, check it out on YouTube. Yes, you don't have to worry about anything. Everything just happens because everyone is open. I do think we're heading more towards that as we reach this sort of as we're going more towards a critical mass of people who live within that state of consciousness yeah. like a lot of people are waking up right now and a lot of people are be- are living more awarely and letting go of of just planning everything they're becoming more fluid in the way they're uh, they're they're managing their time and as they do that more a lot of people come to the conclusion that um, everything that you're you're willing actually is, is coming towards you as long as you you actually take the time to let it. And if you're just always scheduling everything and you're you're living by there via this this like mentally induced way, out. yeah, exactly. You you're, you're creating frustration for yourself because yes. you're trying to force the flow. Yeah. And you can't force the flow. You can't force the river to turn the other way because you're not you're not stand you, you know you're not the mountain from which the river flows. You're you're something in the river that's going with it, and you you better just swim with it. Let's see if it's in flow. But maybe maybe if you had the mass of a mountain in people, yeah, that we're all trying to get the river to flow upstream, yeah. you could do it. Yeah, well, I, I think that you know if you use it as a metaphor for uh, manifesting a certain kind of reality, and I think that's certainly true. Like you, you if you have. If all the if if we had like ninety percent of the people in the world now believing that we we're going to save the planet, then we're all going to be living sustainably and in love and in harmony with each other, then we're we're all going to work towards that, and and everything is going to go accordingly. So it's really just about getting to that critical mass. At least that's how I see it. Well, I believe as soon as we start shifting from a fear-based existence which is all about scarcity which is the, the majority of the world which is all about competition which is all about consumption we shift into a love-based existence which is all about abundance and gifting then things will change yeah. and that comes from being full in yourself not from an external thing not by loving someone else but loving yourself once you start doing that you become full in yourself and then shit just falls into place do you know about Peter Diamandis I, like a true shaman I, I don't <laughs> read I learn through experience tell me <laughs> okay well through my experience of reading people um, Peter Diamandis who uh, is one of the you know the Silicon Valley visionaries and you know uh, founded Singularity University and, and uh, in many respects you know there's Silicon Valley is kind of a troubled 
system. You know, it's it's not a perfect system. But one of the interesting things about that culture is its emphasis on taking an active stance towards the future, seeing yourself as a contributor to the future. And one of the things that he he wrote recently on the Singularity weblog is about the decline in the cost of living. If you look at you know the amount of work that it takes for us to acquire however many calories to consume or an education. I mean, even in the last, you know, everybody is hip to the fact that like you can get a full college education online now for free if you're a self-directed learner. Because so much of the material that was behind a paywall at Harvard or whatever, they're now putting their entire curricula online for free. And the only thing that you're paying for is the admittedly valuable experience of being there yeah. and like in that group of people. Yeah. But like if you're if you're disciplined, you can you can get your whole education and in some respects that's actually more important to if you were to like work with an employer and you said, Oh, you went to Harvard, cool. Oh, wait a minute. You came from like Mumbai in like some ghetto and decided that you were going to give yourself a college education. Well, clearly, I'm going to hire you, but that's that's a tangent. The point is that in some respects, it's getting easier and easier to satisfy the material and also maybe the emotional and intellectual needs of the human being. And when you're starving, it's hard to share your food. When you're full, it's easy to give the rest of that meal away. And so maybe, you know, maybe what we're witnessing in the slow kind of like historical sense is that that's a, a branch that just broke over here and it's uh, got a dream catcher in it. It's kind of an interesting thing there. Um, is that we're witnessing this, this slow transition into, and he says this very specifically, it's like into this world of post-scarcity, abundance. It's going to be a whole lot easier to practice non-monogamy because we're no longer worried about like... Well, there's five women in this village, and one of them has to be my wife. And then, like, there's only so much land to go around to grow food on, so I need to defend this land against the guys living over the next hill. This is why I went to Sweden. <laughs> it's just a level of abundance, and everyone's polyamorous. <laughs> yeah, the Vikings have been stealing all the pretty ladies for quite some centuries. <laughs> Where's your accent from? Um, I'm actually Dutch, but we learned to speak British English there, so it's something... Mingle of different accents. <laughs> I think it's really interesting because uh, when 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 we have, we have we have an abundance of possibilities these days compared to what we used to have due to our technological advances, which have also caused us to, you know, have to spend less time working for food and all of that stuff. And I think I think what's really important is that uh, people become into a state where they're able to see that they're living in abundance. When a lot of us live in a, in a state of mental scarcity, when we're actually some of the richest people in the world, if you're in the, in the Western world, you're, you're, you're far more rich than anyone could have been a thousand years ago if you're just the average Joe in a Western country. And I think it's, it's really important to have that realization because once you have that, you'll see more possibilities in gratitude everything. Gratitude is a spiritual, yeah. <laughs> spiritual thing. Once you start yeah. expressing gratitude and acknowledging it, you start getting more. Exactly. Spiritual life hack. Although I have to say... Being in Lisbon for the first time a few days ago from the United States, I got over here 
and I went to the grocery store and I bought a salad. I bought all the fixings for a salad. I bought a bottle of wine. I bought some bananas. And the whole thing cost me like nine euros. And I couldn't believe it because it would be like twice as expensive in Austin. And so it's really funny because actually a lot of people told me told me when I went here that Portugal would be very cheap. But I'm from the Netherlands, and when I went to a grocery store here, I was shocked because everything was like thirty percent more. Like, like everything costs more than in the Netherlands. Like, if I if I buy bananas here in the, in the Netherlands, it's going to cost me at least like like fifty percent, forty percent less than if I do it here. And actually, everything I could find was cost more, like at least forty, fifty cents more than it does in the Netherlands. And I came from LA, and when I came to Sweden, everything just tasted better. <laughs> Nothing, like it was, it just like. It was. It tasted real. I, every time I go to the states, I just feel like the food there is produced on such a mass scale that yeah. you just lose the reality of the core essence of this, the food. Mm. Whereas when I was in Sweden, Your European standards for agricultural production are quite different from the ones in the states. Yeah, and yeah. they actually, you know, we, we I was don't. Really surprised how we're not allowed here to um, mess with the food too much. Like you know, there, there's certain boundaries to it, which which has made most of the food that we have here. Not like you know, you have a lot of crops that, that they're trying to grow crops as fast as possible and as big as possible. That usually leads to them to have you know a far less taste. Like if you have a small tomato, it's always going to taste more like a tomato than you know a big one. And it's yeah. the same with almost all the foods and vegetables, that, all the vegetables that you can get. And I think that's that's a, a big difference you have between Europe and the States as well. Well, what I love about Sweden was like. I'd wake up and a mythical lover of mine would be fo would be foraging in the morning, and she'll come back with like all these berries and fruits and stuff yeah. just from the garden. Yeah, and they live in Stockholm. It's like it's so abundant there in nature. Everything is just oh, pick these. Oh, look. Just, we're just walking in the city centre and they're yeah. just picking fruits I think, and stuff. I think that's really nice because you, in different countries, especially Western countries, a lot of countries, especially in the bigger cities, you don't have. Um, much useful plant life like they'll try to have some trees and all that stuff but none of them are fruit bearing mm. trees they don't have bushes that have berries and that kind of stuff and I'm from the Netherlands where most most cities are pretty green and in parks and all that stuff and some of them you, you, you can pick the berries all summer long you know and it's really nice to see that especially in, in, in countries yeah especially in Scandinavia and wherever wherever they can do that they try to do that more because it, it's, it's creating abundance it is and a lot of other countries they won't do that because that way you're not going to pay the supermarkets anymore yeah. and, uh, and you know so, so money is destroying the whole thing of creating abundance everywhere because I mean let's face it if yeah. you built cities from now on to incorporate more plant life useful plant life you know uh, plants that filter out certain toxics that, that come from exhaust fumes and all of that mm. kind of stuff and, and fruit bearing trees and, uh, and, and bushes and uh, all of these things um, we, we wouldn't need to import that much into a city we, we, we live more sustainably by default this is true and, we, by default, and, yeah. and no one would have to be hungry because even if you wouldn't have a home you could just go and pick fruits I was at the Tantra Festival last week and me and a, an American friend we were chatting away and out the corner of our eye we both witnessed this, this 
fairy-like lady was just plucking fruit from the trees and eating it and we both went this country is so abundant how can you could just eat stuff off the tree and the irony is we're meant to do that yeah that's what we've been doing for quite exactly a while, but know? we just are so conditioned into yeah. fucking buying it's the stuff because we've, we've sort of we've, we've decentralized and specialized a lot in our societies you know like we only grow food in certain places we do this in a certain mm. place and this in another rather than centralizing it all uh, geographically oh but then and again if we're all about oneness surely globalization is oneness <laughs> in, a sen- in a sense it is I, I think it is I mean, but it went too bad yeah yeah like, well it's, it's with all like good that. things with in- good intentions okay yeah, so this is this is interesting this is a trend right that I've been I've been like on the fence about right because clearly we want to you know there's an there's like the cold war didn't happen you know this this war that everybody's talking about um i mean it never it never got became a hot war you know <laughs> like there's there's this um because there's there's actually um this deeper interdependency between these countries that are pretending to be at war you know like the united states and japan or like the united states and china you know it's like we they're we're buying so much from them they're relying on us so much for you know and if if you uh parag khana uh just put a, a book called connectography where he says basically like the future is not about the lines dividing countries it's about the infrastructure connecting countries yeah. and that the real lines of, of of cultural relevance and economic influence are like the railroads and the economic the invisible economic things but we're we're still living in a world where we don't have instant real-time translation you know we're speaking different languages you know i feel like a schmuck coming over here and not knowing fluent portuguese you know um google translate is gonna be just like star trek i have yeah i mean i've got google translate but you know it's it's helping it's helping i mean it's at least showing that i'm trying you know I'm English. I demand everyone speak my language. God damn it! <laughs> we probably will soon. <laughs> Most of us do. I know. Well, everyone, everyone will speak uh, HTML. <laughs> you know, for sure. Yeah. And that'll that'll just be. You know, we'll be... speak with emoticons. You know. <laughs> well, everybody knows. Everybody knows that the the multi touch, like the pinch, and the you know that's zooming in, zooming out. <laughs> right, yeah. but you know, in the U.S., there's this big thing right now—the the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, TTP. the TPP—to place this recording historically. There's this issue where President Obama has been backing this agreement that relinquishes a lot of the United States's economic sovereignty to this unelected, mysterious tribunal of the phantom menace it is it is it's there's this like international mercantile situation that is going to be more powerful than the united states court system and we'll start determining policy in the participating nations so it's like the multinational corporations are actually taking this is a clear seize of power from the national level and national concerns to like what we are hoping will be this thing some people are like well no we need business we need fl- we need the, the energy to flow we need to be circulating this stuff but all of these participating nations 
not all of them, but some of them, the United States is definitely afraid of the fact that, you know, we've lost so much of our of our economy to people that are willing to do it cheaper somewhere else. And so when when we plunge into a planetary system like that, then like how do you make sure everybody gets a fair shake? How do you make sure that that everyone is represented in the decisions? And like the way that we're trying to go yeah. about it right now is fucked. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because TDIP is is this disagreement that, to me, it sort of represents that the people who are you know the, the companies that obviously already have most of the power in the world. I mean, corporations are more powerful than countries when in, in terms of determining what is going to happen because money, you know, money makes people do what they do in this world, and therefore, therefore, who has more money will you know eventually have more power, and that's actually what's happened in the last like 20 years or so is that corporations have actually become more wealthy than all than the countries combined like it's 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 not 50 50 anymore it's 51 to 49 for the corporations and i think it's really interesting that it's already happening there's so much lobbying in politics that most of the decisions that happen in terms of trade laws and all that kind of stuff agreements about um even about the environment and how the industry has to has to deal with it they're greatly influenced by lobbying corporations that are trying to they're trying to you know do these things for their own for their own good and it seems that like ttip would be like accepting like would like accepting that agreement would be like just accepting that that's the way it already is and finally making that legal <laughs> see for me this is beyond me i don't really deal with these things in my life um because well it just it bores me so <laughs> i have my own theory Mm. Um, and the reason why I want to be famous is because I want everyone to 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 go through the things that I, I I'm going through. I'm free, like I don't have to worry about these TT bollocks stuff. Um, I live by the free steps of freedom within a capitalist society. Would you like to know what they are? Well, yeah, sure. Um, you're already living it. I don't know what, what your situations are. I'm also living it. Number one, the the hardest thing to do to get out of a capitalist society is choose a job that you love so you never have to work another day in your life. So you make your love into work. So you get paid for a hobby. It's not work. You're going into into work as joy. You're you're getting paid and waking up because of joy. That's stage one. That's the hardest thing you'll do. Everyone on this planet is doing a shitty job because they have to do it due to the scarcity thing. I don't. Um, I was an art director in advertising. I can't read or write, so I just made pretty pictures to the biggest brands on the planet. If you do something that you love doing, you will naturally get paid handsomely for it. Fact. Number two, with all that hobby and joy money that you created, you, you, you'll naturally start saving money. And with that money, you invest it into a property. You buy it. So you no longer have to... And you put your friends in it as well. So you have affordable housing for your friends. So you're living in a little community that everyone's paying you, your, your rent, uh, your mortgage, so you could actually be more freer to do the more things that you want. So you're more full in yourself, so you could actually start serving humanity. Um, and once you start being in that state of mind, things start to flow. I'm, I'm in stage two, but I'm a bit fucked financially at the moment. <laughs> but I'm working on some spiritual life hacks at the moment. And stage three, which is happening already for me. 
buying land so you're completely self-sustainable start, starting to live off the land create an earthship and build a community so it starts becoming self-sustainable so you literally don't have to pay for anything you get out of the system completely and and you go full hippie <laughs> You just successfully described the plans I'm executing right now in my life. Every divine <laughs> that's exactly, masculine. That's the, the exact thing I'm doing right now. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm working towards that's it. That's like exactly what I'm doing. I'm currently doing. working on making my hobby into my work, making doing doing the thing I love most more and more and getting paid more yeah, and more for exactly it. So eventually I can live of it. Yeah. And yeah, my end goal is also to buy a property somewhere to get the most loving and nice and... You know, generous people and thankful people that I know together to, to live on the land yeah. sustainably. Yeah. That's that, that's my that's been my goal for years, and I'm finally actually taking the steps to realize that to become to live more awarely and, and and more I, people do that. We don't need the fucking. We, we don't. We can start living off the land, and as long as we have this, you know, I believe there's a there's a formula to everything, yeah. and there is going to be a formula to creating these self-sustainable communities. I don't know what they are yet, but I'm sure it's already existing. But, but out we were there. just yeah, saying, hold there's on, lots of we people were working on it. We were many we, communities and then like we this start up bringing, bringing this community together, so we all get out of the system, and then we all start creating something where we don't need money. It's just co-creational. But other people, middle class hippies, usually end up paying for loads of stuff, and they just pay for the stuff anyway. Well, now, wait a minute, though, because we all just agreed that it's the system that has empowered us to, the, you know, the people that are not getting totally shit on by that system are able to do step one. Yeah. It's like that we've made it so that we've satisfied our basic needs yeah. enough that we can we yeah. can be you know because like you know a hundred years ago do you think that you would have been able to go around as <laughs> sacredsexualawakening.com and like that that would have been a thing probably not no you would have been in a factory practitioners I think I think it's really there always was that well I think one of the things that leads to this is uh, the realization that you're living in abundance will allow you to create more. Mm. For, for yourself and for others and I think that that's really that's really the, the key to this yeah. whole thing is to be, you know because right now I mean I, I'm, I'm not I'm not very rich I don't, I don't make that much but I make enough to live by and next to just living I, I spend most of my time almost all of my free time doing what I love mm. and that creates so much emotional and mental abundance for me that I'm, I'm a lot he of a healthier person yeah. I'm a lot more happy yeah. which allows me to you know go on a road where I'm actually living in relative poverty relative to how rich most people are in my country but I feel far more rich and, and it's allowing me to go into this richer future by, by being thankful for the riches I already have mm. And, and I think that's that's really important because when you get into this mind state where you're thankful for everything you're given, you'll be given more. Because you're not, you know, if you give something to someone, you give something to someone a gift, and they're they're very ungrateful for it. You're gonna give them another gift. I, I don't think so, you know, because they're they're being ungrateful. Yeah. When someone's very grateful, you will never mind giving that person something. And you know that that I think that's a universal principle. You know, the, I think the universe is gonna like you more when you show love <laughs> to it. You know, yeah. regardless of what part of the universe you show love yes, to. Yes, I know? like be, that. Be it a woman, be it a plant, be yeah. it whatever. You know, you show love, you get it. It's really that Gratitude. simple. Yeah. Do you do you guys have anything to say about this? Is a thing that I want to be true for everyone in a hundred years, and yet it seems like that all of us are in some way or another so reliant on the system that we're trying to escape you know maybe it seems for me it's like let's get back to the the issue of tantra right mm. 
And Tantra, when we were talking in the the like invisible zero episode of this oh, conversation, the best part, the best part was was talking about this notion of embracing the shadow, mm. embracing the darkness, yeah, and recognizing it as a projection of the disowned self, right? So I find it kind of strange that it's like, what does capitalism actually produce? What is capitalism's main product? It seems like people who are trying to escape capitalism is the main product. And like, in what sense have we been programmed by this system that we all rely on to try and transform it from the inside, but in so doing are actually feeding it? You know, and actually, is that a bad thing? And what I said about the three stages of uh, freedom in, in a capitalist society, if you truly think about it, I'm telling you to become a capitalist. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> exactly. It was but kind of a funny... But you, you, you're it, just telling me to be a smarter capitalist. Exactly, you're using, just playing that, that, the system. You're using capitalism for your advantage exactly. to, to create abundance outside of it. I mean, of course, you know, you can't you can't escape it just, you know, tomorrow. You have to work towards the it. Yeah. It's learning it's about, to... Like, give me a system that works outside of capitalism. Uh, the Ubuntu thing in Africa is something that works. Yeah, take a seat. Yeah, sure. There's five of us now sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> What's your names, guys? I'm Steve. Steve. Angie? It's a pleasure. Yeah. I'm Shaft. <laughs> so we can um, move move the mic. As well, like, how like, capitalism works to a point where it like, has advanced us so far, but... Yeah. yeah, show me a system that works better, and then we'll join it. Like that's the, thing. the I think revolution. We're still working on that. <laughs> well, you know, that's that, what like, I'm working on. There, 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 like, there, there are theories on how to do that. Like, for example, a resource-based economy is what most of the people and you know who think about these sort of things are going more towards to to uh, to have this sort of inventory of all the all the things that we have on Earth, all our resources, and to use them in a way that we're producing what we need in abundance so that there will be enough for everyone but to do it in such a smart way that we pollute that, that we won't pollute as much we won't produce as much waste and we'll we'll actually be able to to sustain it for far longer because we're using our resources in a smart way in a way that we're not throwing away half of the things we produce but actually this system is kind of working right now because there is a system of permaculture mm-hmm. I don't know if you're aware and yeah. this is the way of living the sustainable life and it's already have a strong fundamental fundaments and and the straight rules how to how to follow and how to live in a sustainable yeah. life uh, in order to to get more from the nature because if you live side by side with the nature not killing it and and uh, force towards it you can get more <laughs> out of it and not uh, getting the toxic uh, mm. waste on yeah. it. Tamera in Portugal a self-sustainable uh, free love community is one of them there's so many of these communities all around the world yeah. and my next mission in the next two years is to go to all of these ones take what they've got and build my own nice I worked in advertising. I was gonna say, isn't that isn't that kind of a uh, like a British colonial attitude? <laughs> <laughs> wow! Well, Resource extraction. You've learned well. <laughs> I really have. Fifteen years in advertising. <laughs> but you know, I mean, getting back to this thing about like the first. If we're looking at this in terms of we're the blue green algae that have just learned to yeah. photosynthesize and we're polluting everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, yeah. but but we're creating. 
every generation's trash becomes something valuable to the next generation. All of this shit that my parents had that they don't really care about anymore, clearly never did, but it's like a relic of them somehow. And I wonder, maybe the end game of capitalism is not what we think it is. It's like a caterpillar that gets fatter and fatter and fatter. And you're like, well, this can't go on forever. And it doesn't. Mm. Because what it has done is it's accumulated reserves that it needs in order to like fuel this transformation and like maybe we're we're, you know it's like we're at that point historically where we have generated so much trash that we've hit the bottom and we're we're, we've kicked in the the negative feedback mechanism where we have to start thinking about like these gorgeous jellyfish and structures that they've built Mm. this this there's for there's a, a, a a massive sculpture of earth over here that's made out of like broken car parts. I know, I love it. And like, there's jellyfish that we saw made, made out of cups. made out of plastic cups, cups and plastic cups, and and people that are building homes mm. out of Earth you know they're they're, they're yeah. yeah they're they're yeah. they're stuffing plastic bottles and using them as building bricks and. With every subculture, it gets exploited by advertising and turns into popular culture, and then it disappears, and then something else takes its place. I believe this to be like Facebook is going through its negative feedback moment now where it's isolating people but I believe it's going to evolve into something greater um, capitalism is going through the same thing where it's it started off as a good thing like all good things do trying to help everyone and it hits critical mass and then something fucked up happens and we have to find another way and I believe as Jeff Goldblum always uh, said in uh, Jurassic Park nature always finds a way we will always find a way yeah I mean, like, we do. I think we're it's, not gonna. I don't think it's gonna be a dystopian. Like, I mean, one, one of the one of the, the interesting parts of our evolution is also that we we always transition through different uh, different different modes of society. Mm. You know, like now we're living in a capitalist society. Before that, you know, we had feudalistic societies. We have all these different ways of. And remember, of, it's always been better. Yeah, we're, we're always we're always improving it. Yeah. And capitalism is also just another way of you know. It's created a lot of room for innovation and all kinds of good stuff. But, you know, most of the good stuff we got out of capitalism is already, you know, a few decades in the past. And we, we're, we're, we're since then, you know, I mean, the hippies were trying to make the shift that we're trying to make now, mm. I think, most of us. Because they already saw that, you know, we were heading towards this end game of capitalism where we see that we have to transition into a new system. You know, with the with the tools that capitalism has given us, by you know the 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 way we now divide our resources, the way everything is available to everyone in a in a certain in a certain amount, and it's created a lot of possibilities. That's what capitalism has done, but it's also created a lot of a lot of scarcity because of Mm. you know the fact that you know if you have to worry more about making a profit off of a product, then you you're always going to make a shittier product for more money. That's going to you know you know have a faster expiration date because then people will buy more mm. but you know capitalism in this way is, is forcing us to not build the best of everything you know that lasts yeah. the longest it's making us actually do quite the opposite yeah. and that's 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 how it's, destro- how it's destroying much of the planet and I think the only way we can shift from that is by really going into thinking about okay how are we going to use the resources technology and knowledge that we have now to actually create this you know possible future utopia that we're, we're, we're all hoping to get one day you know we're i mean i'm trying to work towards that as well by thinking about how can we build the bridge from this system to the next Mm. because there are so many people also who have you know who have in great detail tried to 
uh, come up with new systems, come up with new ways of, of managing our resources and living together uh, in, in ways that are completely sustainable. And it can be done. Those people have done it in such great detail that they've proven that theoretically it can be done. Now the only question is how are we going to build the bridge from that system that's why you need the money. Exactly. That's why you need the money because that money is resources, and mm. with those resources, you can, you know, invest that into into more sustainable Ooh. options of living. Therefore, yeah. we're right now in like a middle step of the process where some things are getting really quite fucked up, but the other are really well. So the thing is that we are in the good way of uh, goods way of a border because we are all from the well-being countries like uh, United States and so on but this will influence the the rest the other part therefore uh, for example in the means of the fair trade we we can get it better for the other half right now we are living this uh, well-being life because we are in this uh, in this uh, uh, in this See, I had a vision, again, another one through meditation, where it's going to be our generation that frees us from this way of living, but it's going to be our children that actually free us from everything. Because we would have done all the self-work we need to do to ourselves to raise the children that will help us free us from this society. That's what I saw. Steve, you you brought up the universal yeah, living yeah, wage. I, I don't the, know uh, exactly how I feel about it or how it's it, You're talking about like the basic income? Yeah, that, yeah. That and like how that would change uh, yeah, society as it is. Like, would we be less uh, capitalistic? Because of that would we change our way of thinking about that as well? Because you didn't have to go out and find a job. People would just be doing what is best for both the society for themselves well everyone's on the same wage yeah, well no, I, you, I, I what you what you they're actually doing more experience with this in a, in a lot of western countries right now where they're allowing more and more people to test that like for they get a they get the basic income for a year which basically means that you get everything you need to live for free so you know your rent uh, your food and all that stuff you get enough money for that so next to that you don't you don't you no longer have scarcity basically because you you get everything you need to live and then you can choose what you want to do with your time and what we're seeing in a lot of those experiments is that people are starting to actually you know they, they quit their current job and they're go, going to start doing the thing they loved in the first place and a lot of these people after a year they're they're far happier they're far healthier they're doing something they love and they're actually working more than they did before because yes, they, love they love their love jobs exactly. and they're doing a far better job <laughs> at their job than someone else who only did it for the money yeah and it's it's really nice because actually in more and more countries they're uh, they're they they actually want to experiment with it more. They're doing it uh, bigger in the Netherlands as well. There have been some experiments with small groups, and they're doing a much bigger group now uh, in in 2017. And actually, I've heard that Finland is planning on actually doing this and starting to give people a basic income starting in I think 2017, actually next year, right. which I think is going to you know I think Finland is going to show the world how it's done. Because it's the Scandies, they're in abundance. I know, That's why. I know. I mean, universities are <laughs> exactly. It's unbelievable. To, you know, no, we no, have no. so much here. We can give everyone what they need, and they'll create more abundance. <laughs> yeah. They actually got it, you know. <laughs> So that's to me. That's the mindfuck of this. Is that I actually I read a a speech by Lynn Rothschild, 
oh, shit. of all people. And she was advocating for universal basic income because she was saying, if we consolidate, if we gather all the wealth amongst a few people, who's going to be left to buy all the things? Mm-hmm. She's like, the, the, what capitalism needs at this point is consumers. It relies on consumers. And if nobody is... If everyone is struggling for subsistence, who's going to be left to buy things? We, we've, yeah. we've destroyed the middle class. Capitalism requires a middle class in order to exist. Otherwise, it, it reverts back to feudalism. Mm. Yeah. You know? And it just becomes the princes and paupers. It's like, we need... Yeah. We need that educated middle, you know, to to keep things in circulation, to yeah. keep it moving. So it's 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 a weird there, Deus ex machina, like last minute reversal that seems to yeah. be going on now. Where it's like, like they're starting to realize that they that the, the system that they they created can't go on if they you know keep if they keep all the money in one place. Like I mean, obviously, capital needs the money to flow, and if everyone actually has enough money to buy things, they'll always keep buying things. You can't buy things with money you don't have. Therefore, you know, the more poor people you get, the less capitalism actually works. And if we actually get this basic income, then I do think that capitalism can work far better, do far better things from us. And I think it's like the first step in an actual transition towards a point where we won't need money more anymore because we're going to find different ways of doing all our, our logistics, of mm. you know, making sure that everyone everywhere gets what they need. Not just because, you know, one corporation is paying the other to transport, you know, bananas from... South America to Europe is going to be because you know we need this and this food there and so you know give it over here if you have enough for everyone and as long as we're creating that abundance we can actually have everything everywhere without needing money to get it there simply because we're actually if we actually apply um how do you call it demand and what is, what is the thing supply and supply demand, and demand yeah. then without money you'll actually always get what you need mm, yeah <laughs> a, a few friends of mine um they're starting self-sustainable island uh, just off of Thailand, I believe, where there is no money. It's all about having this island, and everyone's. It's gonna be like Burning Man, pretty much. <laughs> I saw that movie, The Beach. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> they they run afoul of some ganja farmers, and Leonardo DiCaprio fights a shark. He does. He gets someone's leg bitten off, and. Actually, that was what it was about. Yeah, it was, everyone was trying to get out of this thing, get out of this thing. And of course, you know, the, this notion that if you try to escape, you're actually giving power to the thing that you're rejecting. See, the community I'm going to build is going to be for the rich, power, powerful people that are actively trying to change the world in some way. But we won't have to worry about money because you don't need any money. But we'll all be rich in ourselves, so we could all create creating something that will help everyone else you know I hear you You, if you really want to do that you should build it on a spring <laughs> like the fly ranch well yeah actually because, because <laughs> involved in that's the, the fly ranch that Burning, Burning Man mm. uh, just bought that's that the the way of Merlin is like a this, this book about the path of the wizard Merlin mm. and like historically he's a male wizard operating within a feminine tradition and what they say is that, like, all all power, all power as a wizard is drawn from the land. Mm. In like any defense of capitalism, we have to remember that it's all based on extraction. And actually, just a few podcasts ago, we interviewed this guy, Ashley Dawson, who wrote a book uh, about extinction that was a scathing critique of capitalism, saying we can't solve 
the extinctions that we're creating with capitalism with capitalism it was kind of it's it's a short one worth the, worth the read if you're okay. curious but 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 like going back pre-capitalism it's still the case that magical power is drawn from the land and like if you look at the or, the origin of the word wealth wealth comes from the same word as well mm. and it's about alignment with uh, yeah again a resource based economy yeah. it's about yeah. finding a place where like if you want to set up there you need water. you need water that's how mara works yeah it's you need these about, basic things yeah. it's really funny how the word wealth is like a, fusing the words well and health together mm. you need a healthy well otherwise you're not going to be wealthy for very long Right. <laughs> mm, that's true. Have you been to Tamara? It's on my things to do list. There's the Zeg community in Germany, Tamara. Um, there's loads of permaculture communities in Hawaii. Um, yeah, there's a whole tour that I will go on eventually. Mm. So, yeah. So we're we're like ramming on two hours Whoa. here. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the way that we usually end these is by talking about what we genuinely imagine the future could be like or will be like. And then also, given that this is bound to be listened to by millions of people mm -hmm. thousands of years from now, archaeologists of the distant future, like... Or aliens. Whoever they are. I didn't say they were human. You know. Then what is the... Um, do you have a message to that future I'll be the third person to answer okay <laughs> there's six of us now here <laughs> at the moment for me I'm quite uh, Steve here you go I'm quite uh, pessimistic about the future like I uh, don't like the way that's heading um, and I feel like I need to do more um, to actually rather than just you know not liking where it's going actually get involved and do something more um So yeah, I, I I I see there's a lot of hope. Um, <laughs> I'm more on the, the the skeptic side for the future and a bit worried and yeah. Well, I think that actually what I would like to say is some of the things you you've already said before were, were about these three rules that you have, and I think uh, that's very important that people learn about that that is important to learn that you should focus on finding something that you you want to do passionately something that you love doing and to not stop until you've found that thing and then focus on doing that and creating abundance for everything because mm. way, I, i have these two possible futures and one is where we you know we, we don't wake up fast enough when we destroy everything before we can do something about it or we blow ourselves up you know these possibilities are there but i like to believe that The more I work towards the other future, the, the future where we build the bridge towards the utopia that we could possibly have with all the knowledge that we have now, um, is that the more I do it, the more other people will do that. Like, you, you know, if you spread it, it's, it's like circles touching circles. If I speak to five people about this and they're, they're convinced to do something about it as well and they'll speak to another five people and you go on and on and on, you got thousands, millions of people eventually if it just, if these circles keep touching. It's about everyone's inner circle touching another outer circle and that touching another inner circle touching another outer circle. And I think that's what's happening. That's what I see happening at these festivals. That's why we become bigger and there's more and more of them every year. And uh, I, I think that the main thing is that just, like, if you... 
and I know like it, it can be hard sometimes because you can feel alone when you're starting this journey mm. and the most important thing is to find at least one companion on that <laughs> journey to find you know to find some people to talk to about these things so you can actually stay in that mindset so you can keep participating in creating a better future rather than passively you know accepting the shit that you're given and I, I think that's the main thing we want to see is participate in life and mm. don't don't and don't hold back you know learn about what you want to give who you are and what you want to give to the world and do it beautiful um i believe in star trek we're going to live a utopian society i know that because because of star trek we have mobile phones and <laughs> and skype <laughs> so i honestly believe that we will live in a, be- in a beautiful future where kids will run free and I mean I'm living in an amazing future right now I'm in abundance I'm in these conscious communities living the dream I'm I've been to Sweden <laughs> I keep on going back to Sweden because I can't believe a place like that fucking exists and no one's gotten on to it it's so much abundance it already exists we, we are just fed stories from the media saying things are fucked in Sweden, the stories that they have is like a royal family had an argument at a dinner party. Like, things aren't that fucked in that country. <laughs> so, for me, there's an awakening, an awakening happening across the planet. I know this because I've gone through it, and I'm going through it, and I will be going through it until I die. And this, I'm 36 now. Like, I lived the normal life until I was 34. I didn't know there was this other thing, this... this new consciousness i know there is now and now i'm healing myself to the point that i don't think how i used to and i don't think like the rest of society anymore and i'm meeting more and more like-minded people who want to co-create more and more people who want to build and share and love and live and live in joy and abundance and it's happening i have no fear of the future i embrace it and i love it <laughs> hopefully with our uh yeah Yes, hopefully with our good choices in our daily life basis we will create this kind of a ecological atomic bomb which will happen with a big boom of a good spirit and soul. Because uh, while more and more people are getting into it, it will spread out and the particle will get better, bigger and better. So. That's, I think, how it will happen, hopefully. <laughs> well, that's a good place to wrap it. What about you? Official. I want to hear about your one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm giving a whole talk about this in a few days, you know, <laughs> about what I think the future is going to be like. But the short of it is that I, th- I spend most of my time thinking about the psychological future. Like, we spend so much time thinking about what it's going to look like, you know, like what kind of cars we're going to be driving in and what kind of electrical toys we're going to be playing with, whether our food is going to be like the food that we're eating now. And I'm more interested in, like, what is it going to take for us to be the kind of people that live in that future? get a little biblical on you Moses leads the Jews through 40 years in the wilderness they finally get to the promised land but he can't go because he's it's like you were saying about we've got to do the work on ourselves but it's the kids that get to live in this world 
And it's like, what is the change that each of us needs to go through in order to make the world that we want to live in believable? And it seems like the primary thing is that right now, connectedness through telecommunications is causing us to live in this like echo chamber of paranoia it's not just quote-unquote the media it's the fact that like if all of your friends are sad you're sad and we're moving out of this isolated modern world back into this more sort of tribal identity where you're each of us is more identified with the group and you know, we're less individualistic, but that comes at a cost. And the cost is that we're more, we're more permeable to the emotional experiences of other people. So I think that in order for that not to collapse into tribalism, for it not to collapse into Donald Trump versus Nazis, you know, (laughs) fighting in robot suits or some crazy (laughs) bullshit like that, then we need to be able to transcend our emotional reactivity we need to actually be able to take the contents of our experience as objects and see them as arising within our awareness and that really like in order to thrive on this planet through all of this insane change we can't make sense of everything that's going on we can't even try There's a place for mentation. There's a place for intellectual activity. And yet it's getting more and more important that people learn to be able to think critically about the information that they're getting and not just assume that what they hear is true, even from your your own friends, even from your own mind. You know, I think that really like a spiritual skepticism and a sense of zen doubt in everything that we know including the existence of a separate self including this notion that I am a thing take it all the way and the more that we subject our lives to that kind of scrutiny the freer we are from the animalistic reactive Nightmare of just like cause and effect and like responding to news. And you know, like it's amazing that we haven't blown ourselves up in, in nuclear war because when you're on a submarine with all of those other guys and they're all like sleep deprived and afraid, and everybody and you got your finger on the button, it's amazing that some rogue submarine captain did not launch a warhead well, and just blow everything up already. get a, a false signal to, that they'd already been fired on and to fire the first uh, and to fire back but he chose not to because he was skeptical and that's why Cold War didn't turn into oh. all of that. Yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was not believing that there's actually somebody out there not, not just if I were like somebody's out to get you and you're like, oh, really? Oh, oh, really? <laughs> well, go on. So basically, I just think that... And there's the sunset. Yeah, I just think that what it's going to take is a loosening of our ego boundaries in a responsible way 
that holds, that maintains our ability to think critically, but also embeds the intelligence of our heads and our critical faculties in this larger intelligence of the body and intuitive understanding. And that the only way to move forward into this world is as complete people, mm. you know, and not as fractured yes. people. Self-love, merging of Shiva and Shakti. Move, yeah, you got to be the whole thing. Yes. Or, balanced. Yeah, Basically, everyone do Tantra. <laughs> yeah. It's true. <laughs> so that's a fine place. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Is not done here, and we may not ever figure it out. We probably won't figure it out.